All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.11b. Mm-hmm. So this is the second sub-episode of this whole evil sin topic. Yep. And where in the first episode we discussed the definition of evil and sin, here we're getting into what are the results or consequences or reactions, what happens when you sin. Mm-hmm. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick. And my name is Zach Rios. And my name is Connor Hyam. What's up? What's up? All right. So um, we're going to just dive right in. Well, actually, first recap. So all I'm going to do, because I'm going to keep these these sub-episodes a little shorter, the recap of episode eight, as I'm, I'm just going to give you the definition. And if you, if you if this is the first one you're listening to, and you're like, well, hold on. How did you come to that definition? Go back and listen to episode A. Mm-hmm. Right? So the definition of evil, it's a four-part definition. Um, biblically, if something is evil, it can mean something is worthless or it's displeasing or it's detrimental or it's immoral. And what we're really focused on in this study is that third component, the detrimental. We're going to keep coming back to that. Mm-hmm. So something is, biblically, something is evil if it causes detriment to somebody's well-being, okay? Yep. And then the definition of sin, it's a two-part definition. This comes from Jeremiah and a bunch of other passages, Jeremiah 2. Anyways, and, and so hear me on this. Primarily, sin, sin is primarily a turning away from God and the beneficial goods that he's offering, and secondarily, turning to something else, something detrimental, something that falls outside of his parameters. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we said in the last episode is we, the church tends to hyper-focus on that second element. We give an analogy of a fountain and buckets and all that. We tend to focus on what the thing is that we're turning to. And what we want to encourage you, the listener, is that's secondary. So don't hyper-focus on that. You really want to focus in on, I'm not finding my contentment or satisfaction or pleasure Hmm. in God himself or the good things that he's offering me. And because I'm not finding my contentment there, I turn to something else. So what you're turning to, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does, but what you're turning to is still secondary to that fact. Uh, And so, and we'll keep reiterating and repeating all this. So that really is the recap. I think it's the shortest recap. (laughs) That is. (laughs) Um, Look at Shannon being all succinct. Um, all right, so that that's the recap. Um, so now we can actually get right into the point. And what we want to what we want to discuss here in this episode is what are the actual specific results? Um, what happens when one sins? And there's six things that we want to discuss, and we're actually going to go through them uh, fairly quickly. So the first thing that sin results in is dramatic pause, Dun-da-da-da. pleasure. Okay, we need to recognize that sin results in pleasure, which is why we do it. Okay, so if someone is uh, doing heroin or ecstasy, or they're getting really drunk, um, or even even sex. Now, sex itself is not a sin, but say sex outside outside the parameters that God has established for marriage, um, it's pleasurable. It's why we do it. And, and remember we said in, in the bucket analogy that we tend to rank the buckets and we tend to justify that our bucket, well, depending on who we are, we either justify our bucket and we say the other ones are worse, or if we're constantly beating ourselves up and condemning, our bucket is the worst of all the buckets, right? And we think we're the only one that, that dips into that bucket. Um, but and so, so you may say, ah, no, 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 Shannon. Like, for example, maybe there's an individual who's never drank in their life. Um, and they say, I find no pleasure whatsoever in drunkenness. Therefore, there's no pleasure in drunkenness. What would you guys say to that? I'll put you on the spot here. Um, I mean, different people find pleasure in different things. Right. So that's 
So that's the whole point of all this, or one of the many points, is <laughs> it may not be pleasurable to you, which is why you don't do it, but it's pleasurable to others, which is why they do it. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're not justifying, oh, well, if it's pleasurable, go, go, go do it. Because remember you know, that phrase, um, how can something that feels so good be so wrong? So a world's understanding, if it's pleasurable, it can't be wrong. Well, most people actually think through that would disagree with that because there's certain pleasures yeah. that we would agree is, is, is you know, it causes detriment, whatever. <clears throat> Anyways, so we want so you want to memorize. You want to memorize these six points, especially the first three. So point number one, what happens when I sin? I find pleasure. It's actually going to be very comforting for you when you, when you start recognizing this. Okay, what's the second one, Connor? Um, the second point of what sin results in is detriment to your or others' well-being. And that and that kind of manifests itself in negative, detrimental consequences mm-hmm. um, to yourself or others, um, and that can be physical, emotional, relational. Um, part of that is um, guilt that you feel, like a cloud over your head, um, and kind of some examples. Depression. So, yeah, depression. Yeah. Um, other examples, fi- like physical examples, like um, drunkenness leads to um, issues with your liver, mm-hmm. different physical issues. Um, if you lie in relationships that leads to mistrust and that can cause uh emotional and relational um aspects resulting from from a sin that you've done yeah uh let me ask you this um will you always be able to see what the detrimental thing is no i don't you wouldn't always be able to see it no so just because if there's some sin and you can't see the detriment it doesn't mean that there's not detriment there um, it just may be that you can't see it. Same with the pleasure. It's more likely you are actually going to see the pleasure. But like, for example, let's say somebody gossips a lot. It's a subconscious pleasure, not necessarily a conscious one. And they sure. wouldn't want to admit that the gossip causes pleasure, but it does when they do it. So so you won't always see these results, but the results are there. Yeah, and uh, something that that reminded me of is the verse that talks about the things that you reap, that's what you're going to sow. Or the things that you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And so when you are planting seeds of these different sins, you might not see it now, but 20 years from now, you can really begin to see the effects of it. Yeah. Okay, so sin results in pleasure. Mm -hmm. It also results in some sort of detriment, whatever that may be. Zach, what's the third thing sin results in? It can also result in a prevention of other beneficial goods. And so there's a couple different things that this uh, can be. And one of the main ones is it really prevents your intimacy with God. And so I, I do want to make an important distinction here that it that sin does not result in separation from God if you're a believer. And so if you sin, it's not we're not saying that every single time you sin, you're cut off from God. And so it's literal separation what we're saying is it's a loss of intimacy so think about that for a second because you just said if you're a believer sin will not cause separation from god one of the most common phrases you hear in the church all the time when referencing sin is that sin causes a separation from god so you're making a very challenging statement here but you're explaining what you mean by that Mm -hmm. it because because and let me say this real quick I've you know I've been taught that when you sin God has to pull away from you because he's holy right and so it creates that separation mm-hmm. but then I remember thinking about um I am with you always to the very end of the age and another verse I will never leave you nor forsake you yeah and so one of the things because God's already atoned for our sin which we'll get all this stuff later and he's already forgiven for the sin mm-hmm. so we're willing to make a challenging statement like that yeah that as a believer when you sin God does not pull away from you 
it does create static in the intimacy. Absolutely. So I love what you said there. Mm -hmm. And and I want people to actually think through that. It doesn't cause a separation from God because he's already forgiven me 70 times seven. Yeah. I've turned my back on him. So there's some sort of separation of face to face. Mm -hmm. But the main point that we're getting at here is it is going to prevent intimacy with God in the moment. Yeah, because God is unchanging and he's unmoving. And so a word picture that I've heard described a lot of different times is uh, when, and this goes right back to the definition of evil and sin, so it's turning away from God into something else. So we start walking away from God. And then once you get to a certain point and you uh, turn around and it's like, hey God, why are you all the way over there? Who moved? It wasn't God who moved. You're the one that was walking away towards something else that you thought was going to be more pleasurable. And so that's just really... So that would go back to like, is there a distance? Sure, to some extent, you're you're distancing yourself from God. But when we say separation, it seems like an utter component, mm-hmm. and that does not happen. Yeah, yeah, yep. What are some of the other goods that are prevented? Yeah, so some of the other uh, prevention of beneficial goods. It you don't have any rest, and there's not any health to your bones. There's some different verses that Proverbs, say that. Yeah, I love that phrasing. Yeah, and then it also uh, prevents joy, happiness, peace, honor, holiness, and glory. Uh, just a lot of those things aren't going to be happening when you're in sin. And it's not necessarily all those don't happen. Sure. It's depending on the sin that you do, there's certain beneficial goods that won't come. It seems intimacy with God will always be one of them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really one of the main ones. One of the main for ones, sure. yeah. And then, and then depending on the sin, there may be, when you're doing that sin, you are missing out on peace or you're missing out on joy or yeah. you're missing out whatever. Right? Yeah, it's definitely not an all or nothing type thing. We do want to recognize yeah. that it is more complicated than that. And then... Uh, Another result of sin is it's just useless uh, in contributing towards the purposefulness of your life. Uh, A lot of times we sin because we think that it's going to help us in some way, and it does in the sense that it brings us pleasure, like we said. Mm -hmm. Um, But long term, like there is just no benefit that actually comes from it, and it prevents the beneficial goods that come as we're following along trying to do our purpose. Right, so sin won't cause uh, benefit at least it won't cause spiritual benefit. Right? Yes, yeah. and this, so this goes back to that G zero through G three and E zero through E three. Uh, sin can can be a G one, so it can be something pleasing. Mm-hmm. So it's good in that sense, small case G good, but it's also detrimental. So it's also kind of capital E evil, mm-hmm. right? All right, so those are the main three that we want you, the listener, to to to, to memorize. That when I sin, it creates pleasure, it creates some kind of detriment to me or others. Uh, and it prevents some benefits. Well, I really want to strong you to strongly encourage you to memorize those three. We're going to get into why in application here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's three. The fourth thing that, that sin can result in, this is if you keep doing it. Yeah. So maybe not, not up front initially, but if you keep doing it, there's a spiraling down. Uh, and so the idea there is, you know, sin begets more sin, that you're hardening your heart, you're beginning to be blinded, it's starting to eat away at you like acid, hmm. right? And so like you can see, like, say like drug use, and it just gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. Um, and so there's, there's a woe that comes with that. It's going to catch up with you. It's actually going to begin to oppress you and trap you. It's going to put fear within you. It's going to harden your heart and blind you. Like I, I, I said before, this is the kind of thing that stirs up violence and war. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of the verses we, 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 uh, read was like, it harms the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to keep in mind that if I don't, if I don't cut this off initially and I kind of keep going with that, it's going to spiral down, which is going to make it harder and harder to get out of. Mm-hmm. All right. What's the fifth one? Uh, the fifth result, um, is eventually death. 
and that kind of comes from different passages. Uh, one of them, wages of sin is death, and mm. that refers to uh, spiritual death, physical death. Um, and actually, in our unpacking notes that we have, the, there's a line that's crossed through that. Because as believers, um, spiritual death will not occur. Um, there's, we'll still have physical death, uh, like our physical bodies, but we won't, ha- we won't have spiritual death. And so that becomes a, a key component there that you need to recognize that sin will eventually result in spiritual death unless you're saved. Yep. So this gets into some theology, right? Some would say if you sin enough, you lose your salvation. And so you do experience spiritual death. Where I really hold to, I, th- I think both you guys do as well, yep. that we're forgiven of all our sins uh, as believers. If you confess Jesus as Lord, Romans ten nine, you'll be saved. And so we, we there's a balance here of we really are encouraging you to sin less and less. One of our goals, all three of us here, is to sin less and less. Mm-hmm. But we know that while we are sinning, it doesn't result in spiritual death now. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for we who are in Christ Jesus. And so that gets into a whole bunch of stuff like, you know, can't you, can you sin away your salvation? And, and there's different theories, there's different camps on that. We, we believe no, right? Yep. All right, so that's, that's a fifth one that we actually cross out for believers. Yep. What's the sixth and final result of sin? The sixth one is a little different because I feel like when we go through and explain the first five, it makes sense why we include them. So pleasure, sure, sin is pleasurable. That's why we do it. It's detrimental, prevents goods. If you spiral down and you keep doing it and you're going to keep doing it and it's going to get worse and worse, eventually it can lead to physical death or even spiritual death. But this one switches it up a little bit because sin actually provides an opportunity for good things. And so it provides an opportunity for things like patience and forgiveness and grace. And so this becomes a lot more interesting, even as we get into the next episode with why does sin even exist, um, with these beneficial things even being included in this prologue process, because it is something that sin does result in. Yep. Um, another point I was just thinking of, and this goes back to the detriment, and, the, and we'll, we'll cover this again in justice. We'll also cover it in the forgiveness study. When you sin, it creates the detriment. It creates a negative in a ledger, in an accounting term. And justice dictates or justice requires that that be compensated or atoned for, mm-hmm. um, which is the bringing back the negative back up to neutral or even positive. We'll, we'll go more on that later, but I at least wanted to touch on that there, that it does incur some sort of loss or negative that needs to be addressed. And we're going to address that when we get to how does God respond to sin and then how do we respond to sin. So I, I want to touch on that. Um, another thing then with this too, I think we mentioned this in, in the episode A of, of this series. This is a little bit controversial. I take a lot from this and I really like this and, and I've gotten feedback from others that they've enjoyed it. Looking at the first five, well, especially two, three, four, and five. So it creates detriment. It creates a prevention of other benefits. It can do a spiraling down into a hardening of the heart and even worse things, eventually in death. Looking at at two, three, four, and five, um, it shows that sin is a critical issue, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But considering that point five has been crossed out for us believers, and there's also the point six that there is going to be grace and mercy and forgiveness that come from this uh, as believers. Given those, this is, you know, again, controversial. Mm-hmm. I believe that given that, f- that death is now crossed out and, and six, that grace and mercy can occur, it downgrades sin from a critical issue to a serious issue. Now, the pushback on this is, well, hold on, Shannon. We need to use the critical language when describing sin because if we don't, people are going to continue to sin. 
I get that point. They're going to continue to sin no matter what anyways. And, and I, I understand the fear. I understand that if I'm going around saying that, that as a believer, sin is not a critical issue, it's a serious issue. I understand the fear that, oh, you're going to be giving people permission because it's less serious now, right? Well, it's not less serious. It's less critical. It's still serious. So that's why I'm not saying sin is no longer an issue. So, for example, in the Roman church, you know, Paul said, um, so, that, so, so we know that grace always responds to sin. So should I sin more so that grace abounds? By no means, or I say that. There were certain individuals in the church at that time, as they were beginning to wrap their mind around all this on spectrum, they're realizing that it was no longer a critical issue, and they went to the opposite extreme, that it was no longer an issue. Because it's all covered. It's all forgiven. Well, fine. You know, let's keep sinning. So Paul wanted to counter that. But what's interesting is I believe that Paul is countering. It's no, he would say, no, no, it's not critical. You know, it's, it's critical. It's critical. It's critical. Paul would say, no, 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 it's not. And then others would say, oh, that means it's not an issue at all. Paul would say, no, that's also not it. <laughs> it's that middle ground. It's serious, right? It's serious because it does cause detriment. And it's serious because it does prevent benefit. And it's serious because if you continue in that, it's going to get even darker and darker. But it's no longer critical for a believer because you're forgiven. And I, again, I understand the fears going through somebody's mind as they're hearing me say this. It's just me trying to study Scripture as accurately as I can, trying to let the, the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint, and I feel like this is what it's painting. And, 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 and here's what I find ironically. When I started, so I've come to that conclusion already. I've come to the conclusion that now because I'm a believer, sin is no longer a critical issue. It's a serious issue. I actually found that very encouraging and, you know, it lightened things for me. And people would say, oh, so you started sinning more, didn't you? Because you're like, oh, it's just serious now. No, I actually started sinning less. And so here's a key point to all this. I really feel if we keep drilling home that sin is this hypercritical issue, it creates pressure. It creates guilt. It creates condemnation. And by the way, when I say guilt, I'm talking about the psychological guilt, not the guilt of legal guilt, right, as far as like spiritual legal guilt. Um, but anyways, it, and it creates this very high-pressure environment, mm-hmm. um, and that high-pressure environment makes us weak, uh, weak of mind and weak of spirit um, because we're stressed. Yeah. There's tension and stress in the air, and that actually causes us to sin more, ironically. Where when I downgraded it from, or I felt like the scriptures was downgrading it from critical to serious, it lightened a little bit, and I actually had a healthier mindset. And now that I had a healthier mindset, I actually had the strength I needed to resist sin mm-hmm. because, because it became a lot less high pressure. So even think about an analogy, and I'll, and I'll comment in a um Let's say like someone's trying to um, defuse a bomb, and let's say, let's say they're in a training process, and I'm an expert in defusing bombs. And I create this critical environment. So like, like the, the, I have buzzers going off, wah, 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 you know, and I'm like, if you don't get this, we're going to die. So clip the wire, clip the wire, clip the wire, clip the wire. That individual, because as, as, they're training through that, that's a high stress environment. They're more likely to panic and cause a problem. Where if I'm the expert, I know we need to create a stable environment here. Mm-hmm. It's still serious. The bomb needs to be diffused, yeah. right? But I'm not creating this hypercritical tone and emphasis and environment. And I'm trying to calm everything down because if I can calm that new bomb tr- diffuser down, mm-hmm. now that he's got the calm calmness, he can think, he or she can think more clearly. They can focus in on what needs to be addressed. So, so that's why, so I, I tell my friends, 
who say, no, 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 sin is still critical. What I want to say to them is, listen, okay, for you, go ahead and let it stay a critical issue and let it create that pressure and that tension and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. I'm going to go ahead and create it, treat it as a serious issue, and I'm going to calm down, and it's going to allow me to focus on actual all these practical things that we're going to discuss in the, in the subsequent episodes. Mm-hmm. And let's actually see who begins to reduce the sin in their life. And so this was a couple years ago, two years ago or so, that I began, maybe three, that I began to, to come to this grips. And I can tell you, I still sin every day, right? Given all this list that we'll get to in, in, in part four. But I sin less now than I did three or four years ago. Hmm. And part of that is because I begin to recognize that sin was now serious, not critical. Make sense? Yeah. Comments. And I think an element of that uh, that you've kind of implied, but we haven't really stated, is when you change sin from being critical to serious what you're doing is you're actually changing the focus of the issue because if sin is a critical issue what are you focused on you're focused on sin right when sin becomes a serious issue the focus actually becomes christ and the cross because that is what changed it that's what changes everything it changes sin um it makes it so we're not going to die spiritually we are going to uh have spiritual life and it makes it. And so we don't have to focus on the sin because we have something else to fix our eyes on, which Hebrews 12 talks about the way that you fight sin is laying aside every weight. So the things that lead to sin and sin, and you run the race that before you looking unto Jesus. And so there is a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of merit behind this, that if we are focused only on sin and it has to be a critical issue to us and it's the main thing where no we need to avoid sin we need to avoid sin we can't do it because this is such a big issue we're losing the much bigger issue which is the cross that Mm -hmm. covered it right and going back to the benefits and remember we talked last week about the proactive and 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 solution focused counseling Mm -hmm. that i want to be focused on god and how awesome god is and how awesome all these beneficial goods that he's offering is. And I want to begin to find my contentment and satisfaction in those things, knowing that over time as I'm doing that, I'll turn to those buckets less. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and I also want to, want to emphasize, because sometimes when we've talked about people will hear something you're not saying. Yeah. Um, because we're not using this language, or this hypercritical language, um, sometimes people are, think that we're being liberal towards sin and that we're trying to condone it or justify it. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, you guys are both shaking your head even as I say that. We all recognize that sin is wrong because you're turning from God and his beneficial goods. You're turning to something else. Mm-hmm. And there's something else that you're turning to. Sure, it's pleasurable, but it's also detrimental and it prevents certain beneficial, uh, beneficial goods. So we recognize that. So we don't want sin. And so one of our goals is that each of us personally begin to minimize the sin in our life and then help yeah. others minimize the sin in their life. And what we're finding ironically is, well, not even ironically, one of the ways to do that is to take a healthier version, a healthier attitude and perspective and healthier focus. And so ironically, one of the ways you take a healthier attitude and focus towards sin is recognizing it as serious, not critical. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think uh, just coming back to definitions and how important it is to know how you define things because that impacts how you think about them. If you define sin as just a behavior uh, that is morally incorrect and you don't tie it back to God's character and turning away from him, I think that the natural progression of that is that sin 
is critical Mm -hmm. because again, that's your focus. If sin is about behavior, then your response has to be about behavior. And so it's behavior modification. It's, uh, I need to not do this. And so it's having the focus there. But if the definition of sin actually is turning away from God primarily and turning to something else secondarily, then we really can begin to let the cross impact things Mm -hmm. and it can become much less critical and still remain serious. So let, let's reword this another way. All right, go ahead, Connor. Um, I think uh, like kind of what you're saying, kind of comparing it to the buckets analogy mm-hmm. um, and what we've talked about a couple times, but the critical aspect is something that as believers that we, we aren't going to lose that relationship with right with, with Jesus, with the Lord. And so with that already taken care of, then we're able to look at the other, the other buckets, the other parts of the two-part definition of sin and, and treat that in a different perspective, which I yeah. think is helpful, like you said, in resisting future sin. Yeah. So let's reword this inversely. What are the benefits to resisting sin? Yeah. And so if we're resisting sin, then the, like you were just saying, the inverse of this is true. And so we're going to miss out on pleasure. Yes. That and pleasure. so, yeah, the pleasure of sin, right. uh, it is worth mentioning that that's going to happen. Um, but But the rest of this list is also true. So we're going to miss out on detriment to you or or another's well-being. You're also going to miss out on a prevention of beneficial goods. You're actually going to be able to experience those beneficial goods. And then you're also going to miss out on that spiraling down with sin begetting more sin. Uh, Because we've talked about it takes 21 days to form a habit and different things like that. And so if you can start that cycle of not participating in sin, it can actually, it, the inverse is also true. It gets easier and easier to not sin, although uh, muddy fields, different issues will still uh, stick with you, right? which is something that we're going to talk, we have talked about before and we'll talk about more. So, so given all this, we can begin to understand why God hates sin. Mm-hmm. Now, I have long been told kind of the traditional answer is God hates sin because, and there's different ways people say this, but it somehow affronts or taints his holiness. Hmm. And I remember starting to think through that and I'm like, I don't, I, that kind of, that makes his holiness taintable. Hmm. And I kind of feel like his holiness is untaintable. And so like, you know, Gandalf with his white robes in the movies, I feel like God has these, these beautiful, awesome, uh, white robes that are coated in Teflon. And so, cause even like Gandalf in the movies, you know, one thing I liked about the movies is on the, on the, um, him, of his robes, it's dirty because he's traveling on the horse and walking and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but with God, his white robe is always pure white. And so for me, if I was to take it a bucket of sin, the slop, this mud, and I was to throw it onto God's robe, it wouldn't muddy God's robe. Mm-mm. It would, like the Teflon, it would hit and then just slide right off and wouldn't affect his robe at all. So I remember thinking, so I feel like God's holiness, is his holiness and his glory has to be unaffected by sin mm-hmm. if it truly is perfect and awesome and majestic. So, so it's not, so it doesn't hate sin because it's some sort of affront to his holiness or glory or taints it because it's not possible. Yeah. But, he, but we know that he hates sin. So what might be the reason? Well, going through this list here, we know that he loves the world. We know that he loves every single person that he's created. And we know that love includes desiring that others experience a beneficial well-being. Mm-hmm. And so, so this, it, when all this, you know, started coming together for me, I'm like, ding, 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 like, oh, God, I'm so understanding everything now. Yeah. 
God hates sin because he, because he loves people and he wants them to experience beneficial goods. It's also he's just. Remember, just is a making of things right. So because God is loving and just, he wants people to experience good and right, beneficial, healthy things. Sin creates detriment and prevents benefit. That's the exact opposite of what he wants out of his love and his mm-hmm. justice. And so I'm like, wow. So God hates sin because when I sin, I'm creating some sort of detriment for me and I'm preventing some sort of benefit. And the whole point or one of the main points of his love is for me not to experience detriment and to experience benefit. So it's his love. And by the way, I actually have heard sermons where they say it's because of God's love that he hates sin. But they didn't explain it. Hmm. So to me, it just sounded like some kind of fancy church language. And I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't like that sounds good. What does that mean? But now, but maybe, now maybe they didn't unpack it. Maybe they had unpacked it, right? I don't know. But, but now that I've unpacked it for myself, I can say, oh, wow. And so it really went a long way for me in, in understanding this. So, anyways, so I wanted to throw that out there. And I just, I just think that's really cool. So we don't want to. We're not going to go a whole lot in application because that's the point of episode F. But we did want to touch a little bit on some application each each of these little sub episodes, right? Mm-hmm. So so here's the application of this, and and this was very powerful for me. Memorizing especially those first three, that so so sin creates pleasure and it also creates detriment and also prevents some benefit. And so inversely, if I resist that sin, if I resist that temptation, then I, I don't get that pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get pleasure, right? Because I can go seek pleasure in the things God's offering. Mm-hmm. But I'm not getting that pleasure. But I'm also not getting the detriment that comes with that sin. And I'm also not losing out on the benefits that that sin would, would prevent, right? So practically speaking, and you guys know, especially because you've been in my community groups and we've done one-on-ones you know vulnerability is a big thing for me Mm -hmm. um you just throw it out there because vulnerability is scary but but throw it out so going and end up to muddy fields which we reference in know yourself and we're going to actually explain muddy fields later on in in another sub episode um but your muddy fields are those things you struggle with one of my core muddy fields is lust it's a common one for guys and so i still struggle i still have those those temptations to go to some website right some pornography or whatever and so when, when we started piecing all this together um, and I started memorizing it, I started thinking through. So, so this gives you a little bit of application of how this can help you resist sin. Um, it's to take every thought captive. It's to think intentionally through things. So let's say I'm feeling, and again, sexual desires are not a sin. Sexual desires are from God. Acting on them outside of his parameters is lust, is the sin. So for me to have a sexual desire, that's just part of God's plan. But for me to go ahead and and give in to that sexual desire through lusting on some pornographic website, that becomes outside God's parameters, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the sense. So our, our, so let's say I'm, I'm I'm feeling those sexual desires, and so I'm feeling that temptation to lust and to go to that website. Um, I can't even believe that I'm saying this now in a podcast recording, but at the beginning, I believe in vulnerability, so it is what it is. Because I also think like people are going to hear this and, and it's going to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as I, I, I feel that temptation coming to go to the, one of these websites, if I think through, hold on, hold on, hold on. let me remind myself, re- remind myself here. If I go ahead and give in to this temptation and I go to that website and I lust, uh, I'm going to get pleasure, which is why, right, why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. There's that release, that, 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 that sexual desire. So I'll get pleasure. Um, but I'm also going to get detriment. And, and I've known that some of that detriment, I, I end up having that cloud of depression um, over my head the next couple of days. 
Um, I know that it creates a false sense of sexual reality so that uh, if and when I do end up getting married, it's going to create this false sense of what sex should look like with my wife. And so it potentially, anyways, could create detriment with my future wife and I. Um, and then I also know that it prevents some beneficial goods. I know two of them are, are, well, intimacy with God and then the peace and joy that come with that. So I know in times past when I've lusted and went to, that, went to those websites um, for the next several hours or several days, um, I'm not feeling any peace and I'm not feeling any joy. Um, so inversely, if I choose to resist this temptation, resist this sin of lust, lust I'm not going to get that pleasure. So I know I'm, I'm, I'm choosing, to, I'm having to forego that. But I also know I won't get that those detriments. So I won't have the cloud of depression and guilt over my head. Um, and I won't be creating some sort of false dichotomy with my, my potential wife and I. Um, and I will get those beneficial goods that wouldn't come if I did it. So I will have intimacy with God the rest of the day or the next couple of days. And I will find more of that joy and peace. Now... Which do I, so what it comes down to is which do I want more? Do I want the pleasure and satisfaction that come from joy and peace? Or do I want the pleasure and satisfaction that come from lust? Now, I can, as a Christian, give lip service. Well, of course, peace and joy, you know. <laughs> but the reality for long periods of my life, no. <laughs> because you, in the end, you go choose what you want more. And so I go choose the lust. Well, over the last several years, as I've really tried to apply the details of the Bible to the details of my life, if I tried to pursue the, the maturity, which mm-hmm. goes back to that episode we talked about, as I'm trying to water walk, which goes back to the seven stage <laughs> journey, right? all these different language, terminology I give you guys, these last couple of years, as I've, and even these unpacking studies, as I've begun to do all that, I've actually began, because we did an unpacking on peace and we did one on joy, which we're going to record shortly. Um, I begin to actually taste what biblical peace is, mm-hmm. and I begin to taste what biblical joy is. And I can honesty, honestly tell you, the more that I've tasted that, oh, it's legitly good, you know? Yeah. And so I can honestly say without, and in the past I would have been lying, it would have been just uh, lip service. Now it's no longer lip service. I do actually appreciate the peace and joy even more than the lust, okay? So having said that, this is what I want to tell you guys. Nine times out of 10, when I'm feeling the lust come on and I think through everything I just described to you, I think through the consequences of going, doing or not doing. Nine times out of 10, if I actually spend a minute or two and I think through this and I count on my fingers or whatever, nine times out of 10, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm not going to go to the website. Nine times out of 10, when I don't think about it, I go to the website. Hmm. That's, that's huge. I mean, that, that's practical proof, right? So that's why so I at least wanted to touch on this. Again, we'll go a whole episode more onto practical ways to resist him. But I at least wanted to throw that out there. Um, and it may be a little different for you, but I at least want to throw it out. That if you actually begin thinking through these things, it will increase the chance. It will increase the likelihood, um, at least somewhat, of you resisting the sin, of you getting the strength and, and the more proper perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. And I think that uh, something when we first went through this study that really impacted me was uh, I never really was honest enough to admit that sin resulted in pleasure Mm. because I felt like I had to have like the nice Sunday school answer. What does sin result in? Is it ever good? No, it's not good in any way. There's no part of it that's good at all. And um, even starting to unconsciously think through the four different levels Mm -hmm. of good. Uh, No, it's not pleasing. It's all, it's just bad. Well, I mean, why, why was I sinning then? Mm -hmm. Because it actually was pleasurable. And so taking the step of saying, 
you know what? It would be pleasurable to do whatever sin you struggle with and I struggle with. Like it, yeah, I would actually enjoy that. Yeah, it's not condoning it. Yeah, that doesn't mean that it's okay. Right. You recognizing that you're going to get pleasure from it doesn't mean that you're condoning it. You're thinking that it's fine. It's just being honest enough with yourself to say, no, that's actually a pretty real temptation right now. But when you actually move down the list with the other things and you compare that with the pleasure that comes from not participating mm-hmm. in whatever that thing is, that should begin to outweigh the immediate, temporary, cheap right counterfeit pleasure that you'll get from whatever the sin is to the much more substantive pleasure that you're going to get probably long term yep. uh from other things and i love that this study got down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road yeah so even though at the principle if you hear in a sermon or read an article at the principle it's discussing all this stuff a lot of times the principle doesn't quite persuade me but when i get down to where the rubber meets the road and the details are actually hashed out even though the principle would say that but getting to the details it's actually helpful which is one of the reasons why we're doing this mm-hmm. So that's that's all I have. Uh, if you guys don't have anything else, then we're just going to wrap this episode up. Um, and so that that helps you understand what are the results that come from sin and some of the implications of that. So we're going to sign off. The, the next episode, uh, sub-episode C, is we're getting into the big issue of, so if God is so good and loving and holy and all that kind of stuff and sovereign, da, 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 why does he allow sin? Why does evil and sin occur to such the level that it occurs? It's a fascinating question that mm-hmm. we're going to spend some time on. So, so um, if you have questions on this or comments or you need some help, um, you can c- contact us at info re- at rekindlingministries.com or go to the website. Um, otherwise, continue listening to the, uh, the episode. Yeah, and we are trying these shorter episodes. And so if you guys have any feedback about that that you'd like to give us, like, oh, yeah, I really like this being shorter. Or, oh, man, I really wish that it was longer all and you guys one, could yeah. just go through it all at once. We'd love to hear that from you guys as well. So, again, info at rekindlingministries.com or rekindlingministries.org. So, cool. So, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys uh, for episode C.